Welcome to the Word Ministry of Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We trust that the following message will be a blessing. Open up your hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you through the preaching and teaching of one of God's choice servants. In this Good Friday, perhaps out of every service on the Christian calendar year, this is the day that we commemorate the death and burial of Christ, the cross of Christ. It's so appropriate that the, the whole calendar should circle around communion to keep our worship services Christ-centric and not based on the performance or the oratory of a great preacher, which is why we at Res Church try to have communion every week but of all weeks today it's so essential that everything be intertwined throughout the whole service with communion and so before we get into communion I want to share a few thoughts from Isaiah chapter 52 and 53 and so the message today is going to be a precursor for the culmination of this service, which is Holy Communion. So the message and Holy Communion will be intertwined. I want to talk about the wounded healer. And we're basing this on Isaiah chapter 52 and chapter 53. And this is a profound section in the prophet because uh, in the 1940s, a bunch of Bedouins found what was called the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the Dead Sea Scrolls were dated by archaeologists uh, between 200 and 100 BC before the birth of Christ. And included in the Dead Sea Scrolls was this section of Isaiah. Almost all of Isaiah was in it, but soundly preserved was this section which was amazing because people would try to late date the prophecies of the Old Testament, but you can't late date this because the Dead Sea Scrolls prove scientifically that what I'm about to read was a accurate depiction of the life of Christ. I remember reading this to a Jewish friend of mine, one of my best friends before, um, I, I came fully into the full-time Christian ministry and I was saved about three or four months and I was just sharing this chapter with him and I said as a Jewish person what do you think of this and I read what I'm about to read to you today and he said no 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 that is not in the Old Testament that's got to be the New Testament because he even understood this was such an accurate depiction of Christ it almost looked like it was a New Testament writer who wrote it so I want to go to Isaiah 52 starting with verse 13 and then we're going to seamlessly go to Isaiah 53 and then have communion so Isaiah 52 it begins this context uh, related to the suffering Messiah behold my servant shall deal prudently 
he will be exalted and extolled and be very high. Of course, scholars believe this is referring to Christ's exaltation when he was resurrected. Just as many were astonished at you, his visage or his image was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Of course, this depicts the horrors of being abused physically. Looking back, we would say this was his suffering before the crucifixion and during the crucifixion. Verse 15, so he will sprinkle many nations and kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them they shall see and what they had not heard they shall consider. Amazing, it uses these words, sprinkle many nations. Of course, the blood of Jesus didn't just sprinkle or cleanse the biological sons of Abraham, but it says many nations, well, the gospel went to every ethnic group, every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation. Then starting with the chapter 53, verse 1, it says, So who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Of course, this predicts that many of Messiah's own people would not believe in him. So the prophet accurately uh, predicted that the Jewish people uh, would not believe in general, not all. It says in verse 2, but he will grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. A root out of dry ground is almost impossible. It would be like a plant uh, in the middle of the Sahara Desert coming up where there was no water. So a root out of dry ground has to do with the uniqueness of Christ, that he lived a sinless, perfect life in the midst of sinful, morally depraved humanity. goes on to say, he has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. When Jesus came, he didn't come looking like Captain America or Superman. He had no halo around him. He looked like an ordinary human being. So he didn't try to impress people by his physical appearance. Verse 3, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. He was not uh, recognized by everybody as the Messiah. He was actually despised. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Wow. Verse 4 literally reads this. Surely he has borne our sicknesses, not griefs, but sicknesses, and carried not our sorrows, but our diseases. That's the transliteration of that in the Hebrew and in the Septuagint Greek translation. Matthew 8, verse 16 and 17 also confirms this when it translates it in those man in that manner. In Matthew 8, it says, When evening came, they brought to Jesus many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So you see, he translated Isaiah 53, 4, sicknesses and diseases or infirmities. Verse 5, 
But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. And so, as we know in looking at the New Testament, Jesus was wounded when he was whipped with a cat of nine tails or a whip, a scourge of cords. And of course, uh, he was wounded when he was hung on the cross. And so basically what Isaiah is predicting is that by the physical wounds of Messiah, we are healed. Peter, who is the apostle of note in the New Testament, he wrote 1 Peter, and in chapter 2, verse 24, he's looking back at Jesus, and instead of saying, by his wounds we are healed, like Isaiah predicted, he now changed it slightly. He said, by his wounds we were healed. Our healing in Christ is not a promise. It is an established fact. Healing, spirit, soul, and body. So we could look to him when we have communion for total healing. And so his punishment also brought us peace. And that word is shalom. And shalom, again, depicts spirit, soul, and body healing. So the Jewish people in the Hebraic mindset, forgiveness never just included forgiveness of sins, but a restoration of wholeness, physical, emotional, and spiritual, not just spiritual and not just sins. So restored back to the image of God, to wholeness, the shalom. That's what this is referring to. So by his punishment, we can have peace. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the sin of us all. So, wow. If there was any uh, thing that we treasure the most in America, it's just doing our own thing. Uh, Frank Sinatra had a very popular song, and he said, I did it my way. And basically, that's the essence of sin. That's what Isaiah is saying here. We have all turned each to our own way. We have our own beliefs, our own way of life, our own opinions, and our own things that we want to do. And basically, the God of America is free will. But when we go past the boundaries that God has laid out, especially in the Ten Commandments, and I don't have to repeat that now, but he laid out boundaries of how we should live to be prosperous, to have true uh, communion with each other, and for a nation to actually live together the way it should. And we cross those boundaries personally, and as a nation, it is called a transgression. Uh, we are transgressing. We're going beyond what God laid out for us, and that is why Jesus had to die, because we all have gone astray. Each of us have gone our own way. So the biggest sin in our life is doing life our way instead of taking heed to God's mandates and God's order and God's structure is laid out in Scripture. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers are silent, he opened not his mouth. Again, this is a prophecy that was written uh, about 745 a uh, B.C., about 800 years before Christ appeared. Again, the scroll was found, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in the mid-20th century. 
dated about 100 to 200 years before Christ came. So how in the world can you say that this was a postscripted prophecy? This was a prophecy before Christ came. And one man could not intentionally fulfill this unless he was divine. Only God could have orchestrated this. So it calls him oppressed and afflicted. He was like a lamb brought to the slaughter. That's why John the Baptist said, as in recorded John 129, behold the lamb of God. He was the Old Testament fulfillment of all the sacrifices. He was uh, the one who was going to be the ultimate sacrifice so that we don't need animal sacrifices anymore. And that's why about one generation after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, God allowed Jerusalem and the temple to be ransacked by Rome and all temples of sacrifices stopped because after the sacrifice of Christ, there was no need for an earthly temple and earthly sacrifices given to Yahweh. So he was oppressed and afflicted. He was like a lamb brought to the slaughter. He was the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, as it says in Revelation 13, 8. And when it says he opened not his mouth, it meant that he never complained about his fate or about his treatment. We never see once in the Gospels Jesus complaining or moaning or groaning about it. He was sad, obviously. He was deeply wounded, but he went silently as a lamb to the slaughter. Verse 8, he was taken from prison and from judgment. As we know, he was in the judgment halls of Pontius Pilate and even Herod. Who will declare his generation, for he was cut off from the land of the living. We know that for three days and three nights, he went to the lower parts of the earth, as it says in Ephesians 4, verses 9 and 10, a place that we call Sheol. It was the place of the, the departed spirits where they went before the resurrection. And then it says in verse 9, and he made his grave with the wicked. We know there, there were two thieves on either side of him. But with the rich at his death, there was a rich man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea who took his body um, and buried it, uh, put it in the tomb. But he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That's why it says in John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It pleased the Lord to bruise him because he looked ahead that the sacrifice of his only begotten son would give birth to billions of sons and daughters, billions of his children through that death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It says he put him to grief, meaning God put him to grief. And when you make his soul an offering for sin, you will see his seed and he will prolong his days. He will see his seed and the pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand and he will see the labor of his soul and be satisfied of course this implies the resurrection it's talking about how jesus himself who is an offering for sin will see his children he will see the labor of his hands that he wouldn't stay in the grave after he was an offering for sin but he would actually rise and see the results of his sacrifice it says in verse 11, By his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many, for he will bear their sins. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, because he has poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. Well, after Jesus ascended into heaven, 
It says he ever lives to make intercession for us in Hebrews 7. And so we have somebody praying right now at the right hand of the Father. He's our advocate. He's our lawyer, always representing us. So no matter how hard it is for you now in this life, during this crisis, there is somebody at the right hand of the Father praying and interceding. And so Paul looked at this, and he had a special encounter with Jesus himself. And we're going to skip to the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And wherever you are with your family right now, I want you to grab a piece of bread. I want you to take the bread. I want you to break it. It doesn't have to be a wafer like this. It doesn't have to be any kind of bread. It could be wonder bread. It could be uh, Italian bread. It doesn't matter what kind of bread it is. It could be a pit of bread. Just take anything you have in your house, break it, and give it to each member of your family as we get ready to receive communion. Paul the Apostle said, 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we see Jesus as the Lamb brought to the slaughter, the Lamb of God. The New Testament depicts it as his body being broken for us. He was whipped, cat of nine tails, 39 times. He had a crown of thorns on his head. He had a spear go through his side. He had his hands and feet nailed. He was hung on a cross. All of that because he was being punished as our substitute, penal substitution for our sins. All of us are sinners. The Bible says that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Not only that, even after being a Christian, we still sin. We need Jesus before salvation and post-salvation. We need him to continually forgive us of our sins. But thank God, even though I've blown it, even though I've missed the mark, even though I've gone my own way, and some people say, well, I don't sin that much. Why do I need Jesus? Well, if you could get your act together and be good enough to go to heaven, Jesus wouldn't have died. You think he would have went through that? It takes only one link on a chain to break the whole chain. If you were hanging off a cliff, and it was a chain that somebody had. Well, let's say it had 40 links on that chain. Only one link. Let's say you said, I only sinned once that I know of my whole life. Well, one link on the chain is enough that you would lose your life. It takes only once committing adultery to be called an adulterer. It takes only once stealing something to be called a thief. It takes only one act of something because something cannot manifest unless there's a root inside of it. If a, an apple tree only bore one apple its whole life, it would still be an apple tree. Even if you think you've never sinned maybe once or twice, you're still a sinner if you've done it once. But Jesus came, perfect, the perfect Lamb of God without spot, wrinkle or blame. He was punished for your sins on that cross. And some of you may not know him personally. Maybe you just knew him religiously. Maybe you just knew about God. Now's the time to know God personally. And even as you ingest this bread, picture yourself receiving Jesus inside of your life. 
So, Father, we thank you that the body of Christ was broken for us by whose wounds we have been healed, not just physically, but spirit, soul, and body. Let's receive the bread. Paul said in the same manner, he also took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant, the new will and testament in my blood. We're no longer doing the Old Testament, old uh, sacrifices with animals. But now this is a new covenant I'm making with the children of Israel and with all of God's people from every nationality. And he said, as often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Then Paul said something astonishing. He said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Meaning this is another way we preach the gospel by observing the Lord's Supper. That blood was shed for you. Don't let that blood be shed in vain. Receive Jesus today in your life. And if you're already a Christian, examine yourself now. Confess any known sin that you have committed in the past you know, week or so since you've had communion last. Let's examine ourselves because if we judge ourselves, God won't judge us. Now's the time. So Father, we examine ourselves. We want our heart right with you. you shed your blood so that we can be saved, cleansed, healed, so we can be forgiven, so that there can be no obstruction between us and you, no wall of offense between us and you, and we could have total access and enter the most holy place in the presence of the Father by the blood of the Lamb of God. Let's drink this cup. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, God, we thank you. Thank you for the cup. Thank you, Jesus was willing to drink that cup. Even as in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, if it is possible to remove this cup from me, please do it. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus drank that cup so that we can drink the cup with him salvation so I have a question for all of you on this good Friday have you received Christ as your Lord and Savior have you already experienced forgiveness of sins has your conscience been cleansed from dead works to serve the living God the dead works of religion of outward conformity of rituals of trying no such thing as being born a Christian. You can't say, well, I was born a Roman Catholic or a Baptist or a Pentecostal. God doesn't have grandchildren. As a matter of fact, it tells us in John 1.12, as many as received him, not those who were born into Christian families, but as many as received him, meaning each individual, as many as received him, meaning you have to receive him, to them, not to anybody else, not to their children, their nephews, their grandchildren, or their parents, 
to them he gave the right to become the children of God I want you to have that right you have to have that legal right by receiving him in your life and it says more in John 1 12 it describes what it means to receive him to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh or the will of man but born of God only God could save you Christianity is the only religion which demands a person be born anew from above you have to have a supernatural conversion you can't just uh, re uh, do some ritual or just go to church and uh, think that that's enough Jesus said unless a man is born from above he cannot see the kingdom of God and so wherever you are right now I want to pray a prayer and stop what you're doing and if you really believe what I'm saying repeat it after me the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 if you confess or admit with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart at the same time you're confessing it believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead meaning that Jesus isn't dead anymore but he's alive if you believe that you will be saved one of the greatest greatest proofs the greatest proof that Christianity is real is that Jesus is alive and he still comes in lives he still answers prayer if it wasn't for that I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing no man could have converted me I was a skeptic I asked Christ in my life he came in my life he forgave my sins he'll come in your life he'll show you he's real nobody found his body even though they looked for it and within 40 days Peter went from being a coward to courageous something turned Peter and all the Apostles around from being scared and fleeing for their life Jesus was crucified to now proclaiming the gospel not being afraid of dying for Christ they must have experienced the saw something what did they see well they saw Christ resurrected and they had no more fear of death if they were here they wouldn't be afraid of the coronavirus they wouldn't be afraid of going to the next life they wouldn't be afraid of anything because they saw Jesus Christ alive who conquered sin and death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel so if you want that experience if you want to receive Christ if you believe that he died for you and that he rose from the dead that he's alive he'll come in so I want you to pray this prayer after me if you believe that say Heavenly Father I thank you that Jesus Christ your only son died for me I thank you that he was your ultimate sacrifice that your son became a human being and lived a perfect life so that the one that is just can suffer for the unjust he could take my place Jesus I believe you're alive that's right say that Jesus I believe you're alive right now I believe you rose from the dead say that I believe you died for my sins if you believe that say that Jesus come in my life forgive me cleanse me fill me with the power of your spirit and I will follow you all the days of my life if you prayed that prayer 
and believed it. And you're willing to turn your life to Jesus Christ. And you're willing to begin as a baby to learn how to grow as a Christian. Well, this is a great day for you. The most important day you've ever had. Just saying a prayer won't save you. But if you really meant it, you give your life to Christ. And it wasn't a ritual. If you confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart at the same time that Jesus rose from the dead, you were saved. We trust that you were blessed. For more information regarding our church, please go to our website at www.resurrectionchurchofny.com or call 718-416-0242, extension 0.